Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, everybody, it's Pete Mitchell. And it's Peyton Jones. Here for yet another edition of the old Church Planner Podcast, which we've given numbers, up saying in Spanish. Yeah, number 16. I'm not even going to attempt that in Spanish. Hey, but I, I, I don't think I told you, but I was running my uh, monthly uh, marketing meeting this last week, and I met a guy who teaches people Japanese through anime. No way. Yes. That's how he teaches. That's how he self taught himself how to speak Japanese was by watching anime. Because when he watched anime that had the subtitles on it, it got in the way. So he's like, I got to learn Japanese. That's awesome. That is such a great motivation to want to learn Japanese. Yeah. I should ask him, hey, how do we say Church Planner Podcast number 16 in Japanese? That would be awesome. And you know what's funny is I'm up at like, 334 in the morning right now because you know my stupid baby keeps waking me up and uh anyway so you know i'm up early and i got netflix and there is a buttload of samurai movies so 334 in the morning yeah my baby is going to turn out to be like wickedly good at like karate and kung fu and stuff and sword wielding but, but she's gonna uh, walk in slow motion so you know i don't know it's a catch 22 yeah and don't ever mess with the brother don't kill her brother. She will fight you. Chun Li, I thought you were dead. <laughs> it's great though. You know what? I I was telling somebody though, I've never seen a bad samurai film. They're always good and they always make me cry. Those <laughs> Japanese, man. They're like they're like the little house on the prairie makers of the world. You know, you can't watch an episode of Little House on the Prairie without crying. Stupid paw, right? Like he always makes me cry. So I, you know. It's kind of like a joke with my wife, you know, like, we'll watch it, you know. So what you're saying is that a samurai movie is much like pizza and sex. It's always good, just varying degrees of good. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. I mean, but, you know, 
they, they're all like little cinematic masterpieces. I, I think that's like the standard. In order to make a samurai film, you have to be a really, really good director in Japan. There's like a board that reviews these things. <laughs> There's a board. I love it. Yeah. They're like, no, that's our greatest export of samurai films. You cannot make a bad one. Cars and samurai films. You must make a good one. But, hey, on to uh, our topic at hand. Actually, before we get to our topic at hand. I thought we were talking about that today. At Samurai? Well, we could. If we can work it into the conversation. I think that was actually one of the characteristics that Paul gave us for uh, an well, elder. Must hey, be I, able to I wield put on my bio, I'm, I put on my bio, I'm a church planning ninja. So, yeah. I'm sure I could work it in. Well, ninjas, I mean, they weren't really Samurai, were they? Mm-mm. They fucked No, the ninjas samurai. have no honor. And I tell uh, guys that are church planning, if you're in this for glory, man, forget it, because uh, this is a ninja job. But for me, you know, I got tired of telling people I was a cereal planter, because, uh, you know, then I make my stupid joke. If I strike once, I'm going to strike again. You know, I'm going to plant, uh, raise up leadership and get the heck out of Dodge. And, you know, that got tired after a while. And I'm like, you know what? I like ninjas. I'm going to say I'm a church planting ninja. So, um I'm, you know, they, they just get hired to go do stuff. So they, they don't have any loyalty to a samurai. And they and always work for a like hundred pounds of gold. Absolutely. So I would, uh, I, you made that up. No, it was one of the ninja movies where like this clan for the last 2000 years would assassinate anybody, but you had to pay him a hundred, a hundred pounds of gold. And it never wow. changed for 2000 years. Just the price of gold changed, but their <laughs> price was always, a hundred pounds of gold. I think it was just the Best. movie called Ninja. Do you remember when we were kids and there was that thing on like Sunday afternoon called Kung Fu Theater? Why did they ever take that off the air? You, that thing was awesome. You know, here's the thing, Peyton. I was a pastor's kid, so uh, come on. Do you really think my parents are going to let me watch dude, that? Seriously, without Kung Fu Theater, one of my best memories as a kid was watching this this one Kung Fu film. And I kid you not... The guy had a kung fu pinky finger. Um, what is that? He he could he could kick anybody's butt with his finger. So I I don't even know. Like I wish I could show you on the podcast. But like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an exercise so you can pretend and everyone at home do this. Right, take your finger and point up and Jerry it now. Home. Okay, yeah, now bend it and now point it out at a ninety degree angle. You know, like you're you're pointing kind of like you know. Like an old man, like on the cover of Led Zeppelin two album, right? Now point back up like Jesus one way, now Led Zeppelin, now one way, now Led Zeppelin, right? And you keep doing that. And I swear to you, his finger is going super fast. And there's this one scene where like this guy is standing. You know what's funny is I'm uh, sitting there doing that with my finger going, Wow, this kind of gives my forearm a workout. <laughs> yeah, you can feel it. Well, this dude, man, like he had like he had like mastered the kung fu finger. And there's this one scene where, like, he's jamming through this, like, desolate area, and it's all foggy and mystical, and uh, there's all these, like, you know, in Japan, like, harvest time, there's all these, like, bales of hay, but they kind of, like, stack them upwards, and suddenly all these guys jump out of these, like, bales of hay with, like, hay strapped to them, you know, kind of like armor. And he just stands in the middle and they do that like thing where the camera pans back and it goes bong and it shows the guy, you know, and he's standing there all like ready to fight and the guys are running at him at the same time and he pulls his finger out. <laughs> Sorry, that, that cracked me up. And, and then he just starts doing his kung fu finger 
And all he does is like move his hand so the finger hits him. And these guys go flying like 10 or 20 feet. That has nothing to do with church planning. But it was awesome. <laughs> but it was awesome. <laughs> Which has everything to do with church planning. Because, you know, church planning. Church planning is awesome. Is awesome. And, and all I can say is one day. If you keep training really hard at church planting, you will learn the church planting finger. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, well, uh, this week, I think this week, it uh, should be this week, uh, the next issue of Church Planter Magazine is coming out. So, you know, for, yeah. uh, for the one listener we got, Jerry and his friend, hey, Jerry. Um, yeah. And I think Joe, Joey's over in Germany. That's right. Joey in Germany. Joey from Germany. And no one in cool. Russia. Yeah, that's true. Nobody yet, but we're hoping if they observe that holiday, there will be babies created. And they will become will, listeners. They will. They will rise up and listen. We'll be dead. But anyway, what I was going to say about the next issue uh, before you, you, you know, cut me off with our, our viewing, our listening public, uh, easily one of the best stories in this issue is uh, Brandon Hatmaker's story. Oh yeah, yeah. He's our cover cover story in this issue, and it's it's one of those that I can I I can honestly say I think of anything I've ever read in my life, this is the one that that rocked me to my core mm. of anything I've ever read. Yeah, yeah. How come? You know, um, he talks about and and uh, seriously, everyone, you, you, everyone, Jerry, Joey. <laughs> All two, please tell your friends. Please, please tell your two friends. <laughs> and like us on Facebook, too. Huh? I'm feeling kind of neglected there. Um, he talks about the, the the problems with the foster care system. And, you know, we joke that we've only got a couple of listeners. But some of our listeners, in fact, actually a big chunk of our, our listeners are not in the United States. So I don't know how it looks in other countries because we've got listeners from literally all over the world. Uh, but in the United States, we don't really have orphanages in the um, old world sense, how uh, England might have had orphanages. I don't think they still mm. do it that way anymore, do they? Do you know? No. No? Uh-huh. So um, we have what's called a, the foster care system. So basically parents uh, take in these these kids before they're 18 and – uh, you know, when they don't get adopted or anything like that. And basically you get into the foster care system. So if you've got a, a parent or uh, usually it's, you know, a single mom or something like that who might be dealing with uh, drugs or, or something like that, you can lose your kids to the foster care system. So, uh, you know, they're in and out of homes, nothing stable for them. And interestingly enough, I worked at a summer camp one time and I met a guy who had spent his life as a foster kid. And he was working, you know, he was on college break, uh, summer break like I was, and working at the summer camp. And I, I really had no – this was the first person I'd ever met who had not just been in the foster care system but aged out of the foster care system, which is what Brandon right. Hatmaker talks about in his article. Right. Um, these these kids that that age out and just – it literally is is – on one hand, it's heartbreaking what happens to them. And on the mm. other hand, it just personally, me, makes me want to do something. And, uh, and I'll, I'll explain just a couple of the, the things from his article. Let me get back to my buddy. So 
I shouldn't even say he was a buddy because he wasn't a good friend. He was just a guy that I worked with. But I remember him saying something really key to me. He goes, I always knew that the last foster parents I had when I turned 18 would be the ones that I'd always look back to as my parents. So I always hoped Mm. that I had good ones. Yeah. And that was a really foreign concept to me because when, like for myself, you know, I've grown up, you know, having a family, not necessarily getting along with them or being close to them, but they're always there. Like if push came to shove, I knew, I know my, my family would be there for me. Like if I needed a a place to stay, they'd be like, all right, you know, crash on the couch kind of a thing. But reading this, this article by Brandon, it's just, it's really, you know, got me thinking, you know, what's it like when you don't have that at all? You know, there's literally no familial connection to anyone or maybe, you know, a brother or sister that you barely even know. I mean, how oh, it's just it's crazy. And then, you know, what happens is at 18, you age out of the system. Right. So part of what he goes into and I got to give some of these stats because this is just um, just uh, absolutely amazing to me. Yeah. But of uh, the 15,000 orphans that age out of state-run institutions every year in the U.S., 46% won't earn a high school diploma or a GED, which yeah. is, you know, that's like the the entry level for education at pretty much any worthwhile job. 50% will become homeless within the first year. 50%, you know? So you've already had a sucky life your whole childhood adolescence and oh yeah now by the way you got a 50 percent chance you're gonna be living on the street 50 percent will become incarcerated within the first year uh 98 will not earn a bachelor's degree 51 percent will be unemployed 30 percent will not have insurance although they will qualify for medicaid and then here's an interesting stat 15 to 20 percent will commit suicide within the first year hmm. and 84 percent will become parents within the first year and uh, there was another point in his article where he talks about um, – I can't remember exactly what the stat was, but it was uh, um, 13% uh, of foster kids are sexually assaulted and or raped within 12 to 18 months after discharge from the foster care system. 13%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it it's a heartbreaking thing. And and what I loved about Brandon's article is that um he's a church planner, you know, he 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 basically did what um we put an article in there a couple months ago. I think it was a second issue, might have been the third, um, by Bob Goff. That was the that third was yeah, pick, that was the third. Yeah, and it just said pick a fight, you know, and I and I love Bob's way of putting it. He's like, Look, there's so many different things in the world going on. Pick a fight with one of them. You know, you, you can't save everybody from everything, but you get, you could pick a fight with something. Sex trafficking, um, th- this, this situation here with kids aging out of foster care. And Brandon basically picked a fight with it. And I love that. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're trying to, you know, we get this all the time, uh, from people who read the magazine. They're just like, this is real, man. Like, this is for real church planners. This isn't like the, you know, dream story. I, I, I showed up in such and such town and, you know, 4,000 people came within like three weeks, you know, um, 
the feedback we're getting from you guys is, hey, man, this is like the real deal, and I appreciate it. And uh, and that's what this is. It's just, you know, they basically uh, raise some uh, awareness, raise some funds, uh, create a space, and they're rolling with it now. So, and it's to inspire you guys to to kind of think, what are you going to pick a fight with? And in Refuge Long Beach right now, it's it's poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, that if if we picked a fight, I mean, I think one was picked for us uh, when we started. I think you'll find kind of like Brandon says, a thirty year old girl walked in and um, to the church. It was brought by someone who was her foster parent or. Uh, who had been working with her and uh, they basically, you know, she told her story and everything. They were foster parents of somebody else, but uh, basically they started telling the story about her and um, she was struggling with addiction. She had been a street worker, this and that. And uh, the, their heartstrings had just been pulled and they decided to do something. So they brought her to church and um, she started following the Lord and Brandon says she wanted a clean start. And uh, so, you know, the, there's just certain times where God brings you people, and that started it, you know, and so he he picked a fight with that issue. So, yeah, new, newest uh, edition, it's coming out. When When's it coming out? Is it the next week or so? It'll probably be out uh, before the next podcast is out, would be my guess. It's going to come out sometime this week. Um so you Nor- know. normally the first week of the month, isn't it? If you're wondering yeah. when does the latest issue, I I think like clockwork, we've been the first week of every month so far. Yeah, and I you know I gun for the first day of the month, but you know we do oversee a, a staff of one that happens to be in the Philippines, and so there's a time delay there. You know, don't tell them about the secret sauce, Pete. Hey, I'm just saying it's not me alone because I couldn't do it by myself. But yeah, uh, totally. Um, yeah, it's just. It to me it, reading that article a couple of weeks ago, I went to uh, the um, chaplaincy program for Orange County Juvenile Hall, and uh, to see if maybe that was something that I could get involved with. And one of the things that the the chaplain said that I thought was really really interesting, um, what he tells all of the kids is that he will never end the relationship with them. They have to be the one to end the relationship with him. Wow. So he goes, I still meet with kids that were incarcerated in 1986. I mean, they're not kids anymore. Wow. They're full-blown wow. adults. But – and he – I mean, he, he it was it was such an eye-opener being at this thing that I, I know we've got to interview this guy um, for the magazine because he even said – he goes, this is my church. He goes, the only difference between my church and any other church is – you know, they don't tithe because <laughs> they're in juvie. He goes, but I'm yeah. very protective of them. I'm very cautious about who we let in. You know, we've got mm-hmm. the addition of all the, the laws and the rules, like volunteer staff, like what I would be. Um, we're not allowed to uh, uh, basically ever see the kids once they're out of um, juvenile hall. Uh, only basically the chaplain and, and his paid staff are allowed uh, to do that. And it's just because those are the different rules that the state has laid down and said, you know, this is what we want. And, you know, that's, that's the rules that, that they live within. But it, to me, it was just, it was incredibly moving, you know, and, yeah. and one of the guys we've got, what's called uh Orangewood, which is a home for uh, basically your younger kids, your elementary st- uh, age kids. 
And usually that's not a juvenile hall situation. That's a uh, child protective services situation where, um, you know, the state has come in and said, okay, we've got to take these kids away for their safety. Um, and while they're waiting to get put into a, a foster home uh, situation, and, and the guy that heads that up was at this meeting, and he goes, yeah, right now, you know, we've got four kids who were all adopted, so they're not related by blood. And they all have to stay in a different, basically, house on the Orangewood property because you're grouped by age and gender, not by family or anything. And uh, so, I mean, it's just it's, – it's one of those things that – uh, you know, true evil in the world, we really see it with kids, you know, the sex yeah. trafficking that goes on with kids. I mean, Brandon Hatmaker talks about that in his article of yeah. uh, how many kids are sex trafficked, uh, the sexual abuse that goes on in the foster care system, even though there's all these, um, you know, checks and stuff that the state goes through. Uh, you know, it's just it's just like we've all heard of, uh, you know, the pastor who ended up. Uh, being a child molester, I mean, you heard it a lot with the uh, the Catholic Church a few years back because of all the issues that they just had come to light. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't in any way think that it's uh, dramatically different in the, uh, the evangelical side. I think nope. there's just as much. They just happen popping to, up a lot. Yeah, I mean, it does. It pops up a lot. And my my point is that you can get past any of the checks if you really wanted yeah. to. Yeah, and unfortunately, there are people that do that. And, um, and, you know, I mean, in some ways that kind of relates back to, uh, yeah. to what we're talking about with, uh, it does very much because we're, you know, we're talking about picking a fight out there. Um, it starts, if you're going to be a, a church planner or a minister in general, it starts with picking a fight with yourself. And that's kind of what Paul's doing. If you remember last time we left off, we, we only got, through Paul's uh, laundry list of character qualifications, remember he starts off uh, in the Timothy passage by saying a minister must be above or an elder must be above reproach. And uh, and, and just a, a side note about what it meant to be an elder. Um, you know, there are many people, particularly of the younger generation right now, who want to argue that everybody's a leader. Well, I'm telling you, um, not everybody's a leader. If you've been around people long enough, you know that many people do not want to make the sacrifices a leader makes. Leadership is largely about service and sacrifice. And you will find in any group of people, you will find people who are leaders and people who are not. And it becomes quickly very uh relevant if people can lead people you know there's that uh that old famous you know if you can keep your head while others are losing theirs today you'll be a man my son um i would say you'll be a leader you know if you went through that whole list that poem um most of that is leadership and leadership it does have to do largely with character but it has to do there's just certain qualities of a leader and i'm i'm just not of the camp uh, I've been in leadership for 20 something years. I've been out of leadership. I don't care if I'm a leader. It's not because, uh, I feel I have something to protect or, you know, my own role or anything like that. I just know people pretty well and not everybody's a leader. Would to the Lord that all of his people were prophets. But alas, that's not the case. And so we're talking about leadership. You have to understand that even using the term elder, um, you know, we, we were having this discussion. Uh, I had this discussion with, um, one of my leaders who suddenly decided, 
you know, he was going to take the train and, and say that there was no such thing as leadership. I, you know, uh, left our church plant just almost a year ago now. And, um, but he himself was not a leader. Um, he, he happened to be in a position of leadership and he was put there when I got there because the core team was formed by my sending pastor, but he was not a leadership. He did not exhibit the signs of leadership. And so it was understandable that he started questioning, you know, he probably got in that role, was thinking, well, really, you know, I, but, but my case in point is that, um, one of the things I said to him, and, and so Paul's talking about the qualifications of an elder, right? Um, Paul is establishing there that there is such a thing as uh, leadership. And so when you have an elder, uh, that term in the contemporary culture basically meant that, um, uh, for example, uh, Timothy is an elder there at Ephesus. Um, it, it referred normally to the wise village patriarchs. You know, in a community, there would be a, a group of older men. Um, they would decide things together because they had been through some life together and, uh, they had had a, a, a collective of shared experiences. And in, uh, wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. So these guys would come together. The village felt safe, letting these guys make the hard decisions. And, um, and that's, that's what happened. So Paul in the New Testament uses the exact same, um, when he goes into that contemporary culture, he uses the exact same, uh, wording. The only difference is that Paul does not designate eldership by age. So he will put young men in there. And what that immediately does is it takes it off of being advanced in years and instead being fill, full of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So whenever you see, uh, like in the book of Acts, where they appoint the deacons, um, it says things like Stephen and the others that they were Barnabas, um, uh, Matthias, you know, they were full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So, so that was what set you apart. Men full of faith, men full of the Holy Spirit. And so there was God permeating every area of their life. And so that wisdom then, therefore, like Solomon, is a supernaturally endowed wisdom. So suddenly you have this presence of God about you. You yourself as an elder are a follower first. You are being led by someone else. And that's what they depended upon was that these men were seeking the Lord and being led by the Lord. And of course, for me, this is very relevant because I serve always in team. There's no I in team, right? So when I plant a church, it's a group that is planting a church with me. I'm part of a team. If you've read Church Zero, cha-ching, shameless <laughs> plug, uh, you'll know that that the apostolic leader is just one in five. And so there are other leaders with other gifts that that bring that into the mix. And so, uh, like I was talking to a church planner today, and uh, I was telling him that um, the way it's worked for us, and I've been doing it this way for eight years, I stepped out of the uh, pastor-only model, what they call the Moses Pyramid. Ah, the train. Hey, Choo Choo. And they, they basically, uh, the Moses pyramid is basically you're at the top and then the pyramid widens with your underlings underneath you. And I just didn't see that in the scripture. And so I made a shift. Well, then when I come into the understanding that there were five roles of elders, the apostolic leader, prophetic leader, um, evangelist, uh, shepherd and teacher, all of a sudden I understood why there were multiples. You know, they each bring something different to the mix, but. What I was telling the church planner today was that um, 
if if there's two of us and both of us disagree, then we tend to say, well, look, you know, you've got some valid points and I've got some valid points. Obviously, we're not seeking the Lord, um, you know, enough to hear what he's actually saying. I believe somewhere there's there's these two sides of the coin uh, that's flipping in the air and it's not going to land heads or tails. We, there is a third option here that we weren't smart enough on our own to figure out. So let's get back on our faces. And I've been doing that for eight years. It sounds mystical, but here's the thing, guys. When did you ever think that leadership was going to be by your own ability? When did you ever think that leadership was not going to be supernatural and you were not going to be following the shepherd as he leads his church? He is actually the leader of the church. So when the, the non-leadership guys come around and say, hey, um, you know, look, uh, we don't believe in leadership. Jesus is a senior pastor. We believe that. We actually say that in our church. Um, we say that it, in our it, magazine, you know, we were, the editor-in-chief. I was just going to say... Yeah, you just pointed that out. We were talking yesterday and you said that again. I remember uh, somebody was talking about buying the magazine. And I remember Pete's first response was, well, it's not our magazine. You know, we, it, it, it's Jesus's magazine. It's got to go where he wants it to go. And and that's true leadership. That is spiritual leadership. And um, so, so as we're looking at the whole thing of eldership, um, the reason this becomes important is that uh, the elders in the church, they, they have this respect, not of position or power, but that there's a respect that this person really follows the Lord, really hears from Jesus, and they have a track record. In fact, Paul says uh, that that before a man should serve as an elder, that he has this good standing with God and people, and that people, it, it actually says, first let him be tested um, before you put him into a, a place of diaconate. Let him be tested. Um, so, you know, what there's a sense of... to be tested? You know, you, 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 you put them in leadership positions. Um, you give them things to do. So for, for example, like, uh, we're doing this leadership training right now. Um, I've got guys that I've been training for two years now as deacons, which means a servant. We actually, I know we're weird, but we have elders and deacons. So we have the biblical roles here. Um, doesn't make us special. Just it's people think it's weird because we use these terms. Um, but, but it just, you know, you can see it in the scripture. I grew up okay, Baptist, that's what man. All I understood was deacons. Absolutely. Who really were elders? <laughs> <laughs> the Baptist church got rid of elders, made deacons elders, and there you have it. So, um, but, but this is the deal. The, uh, the deacons are, you know, some churches would call them interns and others would, uh, you know, just, just call them, uh, you know, uh, ministry students or assistants or whatever. But anyways, so here's, here's these young guys that, and, and girls, because there are deacons in the scripture that are girls as well. And so you have like Phoebe and Junica. And so you've got these, uh, these different people in the scripture that, that are females. So here we have these servants, right? And uh, these guys are training, but now I've got them in a position of leadership. So when we hit the streets in Long Beach to do some evangelism, these guys take that. That is their um, their thing. And what I'm actually doing right now, and they they don't know this, and I don't even know if they listen to this podcast. But what I'm actually doing is I'm because I had coffee with him the other day. I'm like, hey, you listen to the podcast? Uh, no wonder uh, he's uh, sucking uh, so bad at church planning. <laughs> I was wondering. I was, I'm going to tell him, dude, you suck. You need to listen to our podcast. And read the magazine. But, 
Church Planner Magazine. Ding, ding. But, but here's the deal, you know, with, with them, um, what I'm actually doing is I'm now testing them for eldership and I'm throwing them into eldership roles where they're having to lead teams and actually lead people that who themselves are training. So I'm having them now train people. They have no idea, but it's, it's what Warren Wiersbe kind of lived by in his ministry. Warren Wiersbe had a plaque on his desk. It used to say, whenever you find yourself in a small place, Always be aware that somebody else is measuring you for a bigger one. Hmm. And so, you know, it's another way of saying, you know, be faithful in small things. And he who's faithful in small things will, will be given great things. But, but he always knew that it was kind of like when Lloyd Jones was in Sandfields and went there with, you know, uh, when there's like 80 people or something. And then it grew to like almost 600 in a few years. G. Campbell Morgan came across from London, heard him preach. And uh, was measuring him up for, you know, what became one of the most influential ministries out of London for, for a number of decades, which was uh, the uh, Westminster Chapel. Um, and, you know, right, right in the shadow of the Parliament building, he was preaching to politicians. He took them through World War II. But Lloyd-Jones became, you know, one of the, one of the most influential preachers in the 20th century. But he was faithful where he was at. So, so just in saying that, um, eldership is that kind of thing where people are looking at you, recognizing the spirit in you. And so for these guys that I've got training right now, I listen to that. When I hear people saying, man, I get so much out of that dude or that guy, I really see the Lord in him. Then I know how when Paul's saying, you know, uh, they must be in good standing with people, people recognize their leadership. We talked about this in the first session that uh, there is the the call, but there that is subjective inside the the individual. But then there's also the objective recognition of the follower. So in other words, if you say I need to be a leader, you have to have people that say you're worth following. Um, <laughs> I'd actually follow you. Kind of like the preacher in the monastery who said, I know I'm called to preach. And the uh, the abbot calls him in and says, "Brother, you know you you can't preach." And the guy said, "But I know I'm called. I have the gift of preaching, and no one else recognizes it." And he said, "Brother, maybe you have the gift of preaching, but none of us have the gift of hearing you." <laughs> so you know, so if we're going back to this, let's pick a fight with ourselves some more. We did not get through the first part of this, and when Paul says, "If a man would be an elder, he desires a good thing," but um, this is what, uh, not, not like what people are saying today where they're like, oh, you know, uh, <laughs> eldership is wrong. You, you shouldn't have leadership. Everybody's called to be a leader. Everybody's not a leader. Thanks for playing. Um, they, they just don't live that out. It'd be great if everybody did rise up to, uh, the qualifications of a leader, but there's actually ways that you think as a leader. And, uh, without beating the dead horse or going back over that again, let me just, um, just kind of cap up what we're saying about um, it's almost the minister's like, wife. It's almost like how, you know, in the last few years, raising your kid is like you, you don't win at sports anymore. You get a trophy for showing up, and they don't keep score because they don't want people to feel bad. That's almost what that that line of there's no leadership in churches reminds me of. You know, yeah. we're all winners inside, you know, rah, rah. And it's creating a worthless mindset in people that at least on the you know it just doesn't up. bode with reality when you get to know people you just know like it's kind of like when you're watching something like the walking dead right 
Rick is the leader, man. He is the guy who who assumes le- he makes the tough calls. He does what has to be done. He takes the burden. It's obvious that Herschel should not be leading that team. It is obvious that Daryl is not the leader of that team. Like you, you just you just watch that show, and you learn so much about leadership. Um, Lord of the Rings, the same. You know all these all these things, and almost everything we watch, the principles of leadership are there. Sometimes you're watching stuff on bad leadership, and 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 a lot of this is a reaction to bad leadership. They actually say about this generation coming up, and here I show my old man true colors, but um, they actually say about this generation, this generation punks authority. And, you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing where, you know, repeatedly in the New Testament, Paul's saying, hey, submit to your elders. And, um, and there are people that want to take apart the word submit and deconstruct it. it it's like when it says submit to your wife uh, or a wife submit to your husbands. It's not. Yeah, let's anywhere. get that one straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's not anywhere advocating me boss. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that if you're the husband, you're the boss of your wife. Never, ever says that. What it does say is lead her. Lead her. Love her. Wash her. Love her. Um, lay your life down for her. That is leadership. And so it's not a call. It has been twisted to dominate. And so that's what this generation, this generation has seen wrong leadership. Leadership, like I said, has to do with sacrifice and service. And there's a group of people going through a calamity, faced with hardship, and there will always be one guy who stands out or a smaller group of the bigger pack who stands out, makes the sacrifices, takes the risks, and leads the rest of them to where they need to go. Leadership is a natural phenomenon. In this case, it is also a supernatural phenomenon. There is leadership within the Trinity. There is submission within the Trinity. So, And it doesn't mean that anyone dominates or is the boss of the other. It's part of the the natural created order of things because it reflects relationship. There is always leadership in every relationship, including marriage, including children, including whatever, including the church. So I know that's a little bit of a like a mini systematic theology on leadership thrown at you and regurgitated, you know, in a quick uh, little upchuck. And I I apologize for that. But getting back to our topic, we're talking about. Um, you know, uh, being faithful. That's where we left off. He must be above reproach. And then Paul qualifies and he's going to list all kinds of things, not quick tempered, not given to wine. That's what it means. All those things combined mean above reproach. And so the first one he mentions is faithful to one wife. And we opened up a whole can of worms with that one. You can go back and listen to, uh, the podcast, uh, episode 15 for that one. Um, it's worth worth hearing if you haven't heard it. Because we're going to jump in here on the tail end recap about that. And and so here's the thing. Like we we left off with like leading your wife spiritually and what that looks like. Well, all of us are, are shepherds in our home. If you can't be a shepherd of your home, Paul brings up in the verse. Let me just uh, open it up for you guys. It's First uh, Timothy and it is chapter two, I believe. Let me open it up here. I don't even have it open in front of me. For a better pastor, I know it by heart. Sorry, chapter three. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, he must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Um, and when he says he desires a noble task and then says, therefore, 
he, he's saying, look, there is a there is a, a a position here. Like, there's something that you um you you're obligated to this this role. Um, the role has obligations. So um, that's what he's laying out here. So if you're going to be a church planner, you must live up to. You are going to by default be an elder. So when he says the husband of one wife in verse three, or excuse me, verse two. He comes back to it and he says in verse four, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how we care for God's church. So, you know, like you have to lead your family. You can't. Um, it's really interesting because the, the guy who said he didn't believe in leadership was actually very, they had really funky understanding of, of the, the male headship. Um, roles. They were very old school, very little house on the prairie, um, very dominating, very yell at your kids kind of thing. And, and it, and it just isn't, um, it's, it's not, Paul is actually saying the opposite here. Good leadership at the home means that, uh, when you raise your hand, um, to do something, your wife doesn't flinch. She is the most safe and secure person in your world. She trusts you because you, you she knows this guy would lay his life down for me. Um, and, and he lists off not violent, um, not, uh, you know, uh, not drunk, uh, not given a wine, not a drunkard. Um, all these behaviors that go on behind closed doors, um, the wife is the first congregant. And so uh, who knows what goes on behind uh, most closed doors? Uh, and that's the problem. Paul is actually rooting out this secret lifestyle, mm. which goes back to what you said earlier, Pete, about um, you know where the pastor turns out to, to, to be a molester or have a pornography problem. I, I had a phone call about that today with a church planner. Um, if, if you have an ongoing, I mean, I think every guy at some stage has, has delved in pornography. Um, but if you're going to go into church planning and this is not an area of your life that has been conquered, you need to do something else. And, and, and that's a strong statement. Um, the reason why is because you are putting your family and a whole host of other families, including God's family, uh, you're, you're playing fast and loose with them because it is going to blow up in your face. It is only a matter of time. You will get caught. You will destroy your life. You will destroy your marriage and you will destroy your church. And so there is a zero tolerance, um, for pornography. The reason I got this call was, Hey, you know, what do we do? This guy confessed. And, you know, it's not quite the same as getting found out and this and that. And this guy had total integrity. We're not saying if you ever do it, you're out. That's it. Finito. I'm saying don't go into it. Um, it, it, An eldership team has the right to ask you, is pornography a part of your life? If you answer yes to that, you should not be put on eldership Mm -hmm. because there's a secret lifestyle that's been breeding um, like bacteria. You know, you've, you've got this deep infection, kind of like a puncture wound that under the skin is there and it's festering and rotting and eating more of the living tissue around it. And it needs to be dealt with. Um, you, you can deal with it. You can say, hey, you know, I've got some things in my life that need to be sorted out. You can get the help you need, um, but do not go into church planning if you're still addicted to pornography. It's a no-brainer, but I think people don't realize what a big problem it is, but it will destroy everything eventually. 
you know, I understand that as far as what's going on behind closed doors. Um, and, you know, I, I think, uh, I think, you know, perhaps one of the, the greatest things that, that you said in that last little uh, rant of yours is the, the self-policing, <laughs> if you will. If you know you've got that as an issue, then just don't go into church leadership. Um, I, I think that's a that's a key element to that whole thing. Yeah, and I think where the the problem lies is where you either don't see it as a problem, you know, the old ah, it's not hurting anyone kind of a thing. So I'm okay to still go into church leadership, or um, I don't, you know, yeah. it's just it's it's one of the I don't I don't even know exactly what I'm trying to say there with that. No, no, just, I got you. It, it's really important. You know, my wife and I took a break once because our relationship was just totally on the rocks, and we called the pastor in um, to help us, and he was like, "You need to take a break." And you know, so we did, and it was one of the best things we ever did. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever, we, we jokingly called it intense fellowship, you know, like if you want to say that in polite circles, you know, basically you had an argument and some, some of my wife and I's arguments were like knockdown drag outs back in the early days. We were both very passionate, but you know, some guys would be like, man, me and my wife are arguing. How do you know, uh, when to stop? Um, well, you know, like Peter tells you to be gentle with your wife and there's some guys where, um, this is a common theme about guys being angry all the time behind closed doors. And Peter says, hey, you know, husbands, be gentle with your wives. Uh, you know, bear with them in understanding, lest your prayers be hindered. Um, if you're not treating your wife right, it's, it's like this big, like, glaring sin issue, you know, where you're treating this woman that, you know, she's a daughter of the king. God's given you, uh, her to protect her. And, uh, and, and, and you can't just treat her like, you know, uh, the little woman, you know, she's being towed behind the chuck wagon. You know, you got the little house on the prairie bonnet on her and you're making her submit to bully tactics and, um, you got issues if that's going on. Mm. Um, you know, so, so, you know, she's like the Iceman to your maverick tendencies. If you're a church planner, she is your wingman. She's your co-pilot. You got to treat that woman right. She's making these awesome sacrifices. So what about just um, regular, you know, uh, married arguments, fights? Uh, I mean, some people, when they fight, they get kind of vocal when they, they fight. Yeah. Well, my wife and I, man, we're, we're both vocal and, um, you know, done or the day is right. I didn't want to say you, but you know, I've heard you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. You can hear it's a couple of houses down. No, I'm teasing, but you know, there were days definitely back in the early days, man, where the neighbors must've heard everything, but, um, I won't go into it because <laughs> I I want to tell everybody everything. It's just my nature, but I got a wife to protect too. You know, she'd be like, "Hey, I didn't give you permission to say that." Don't worry, there's only two people that listen to this. You can say, "All right, you can." Joey no, and Jerry, do not judge my wife for this, but what she yeah, did. Don't no, judge my wife. It's all my wife's fault. <laughs> no, but you know the 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 fact is is that you know um, I tell you, you know, she is your biggest. Uh, she's just your best 
she's the best thing you got going in your church plant. And 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 when you come to realize that, it, it it's just awesome. And I don't want to go too much into that because we dealt with that uh, a long time. But you know, last week we we talked at, at length about this. But um, in the end, she's going to be your most valuable help on the field. Um, you take care of her. Trust me, she's going to take care of you. And uh, you know, a soldier cleans his weapon meticulously. That's something that they make you do over and over. A woodworker's going to oil his tools. A saw. A race car drivers always servicing and pit stopping his dragster. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to like degrade our wife to cattle or anything, but the cowboy, uh, looks after his horse, you know, without it, you know, he'd be riding a pot belly goat everywhere. So if, if you're I riding think, a pot belly goat, man, that's I really your fault. think you need to, to reevaluate that whole analogy. I just <laughs> I think we need to pull back. <laughs> Cause I, yeah. I hope Andrew doesn't listen to this one. Right on. Are we going to cut that or is that in? That's in, baby. Yeah, you baby. Said it. Yeah. I, I, I for sure thought I had gone over the cliff when I said riding a pot-bellied goat. But. I know that my <laughs> wife does not listen to this podcast. I'm safe. Hey, hey, Samson said you've been plowing with my heifer. And I have to say that's biblical, <laughs> but I still as yet have never called my wife a cow. All right? So I'm doing all right. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so here's the deal. Um, it's important uh, if if you're going to plant this church that you get that right. But, the, the, you know, the other thing that he goes on, and, and it's connected to this, is he warns of arrogance. So, mm. so one of the reasons, it was kind of like me when I got uh, married, I, I was convinced I was going to be this great man, you know, this great minister, this great church planner. And... Um, the, the problem was that that wasn't really what God wanted for me. God just wanted me to learn to be a servant, be the guy who learns to love his wife, love his neighbor, love the people around him. That was enough. And you're not a great to, man, so, you know. To, no. I You know, I, I thought I was going to be this thing. Like, I had this goal. I was going to be the next Charles Spurgeon or the next Lloyd-Jones. And, you know, I was so arrogant and so ambitious, and and the scripture warns about this kind of ambition. And Paul says, you know, uh, he must not be arrogant. Another point, he says he must not be ambitious. Um, it's not about you. And for me, it was all about me. And so my wife was like someone who is constantly getting in the way of everything. And so arrogance in what we're talking about this this um, conflict. Is, is connected. I mean, really, if you go to James, James asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your selfish ambitions, your vain conceit? Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is, is it not your, you kill and covet to get what you want? So like a lot of young guys, man, they're so ambitious. And I've had my kids at 35 and 40 years old, you know, so just got our second baby. I'm 40. I was too stupid in my 20s. Those of you that are dads in your 20s, I respect the heck out of you because if you're fathering kids at that age, I know what a knucklehead I was back then, man. So if you're doing it, hey, more power to you, man, because I respect you guys for being young and living to serve another human being because it it took me a long time to stop being such a bonehead and to like actually look at my wife and go, you know, you're way cooler than I thought you were. And you know what? I'm a jerk. And so when I'm saying this stuff, guys, you know, it's like I always tell people, you know, it's it's not that um, I know everything or or that, uh, you know, I, I, I know all the angles. The problem is God has allowed me to make a ton of mistakes 
And somewhere along the line, you squeak out a little bit of wisdom the more mistakes you make. And uh, so I learned stuff the hard way. So, yeah, but, I think the uh, the ego thing that you talked about that's that's the thing that always trips me up the most, and I'm always uh, trying to keep that in check. You know, even when, as you know, people have talked to us about you know acquiring Church Planner magazine. There's always that that ego thing in me, like yeah, you know, I want to lead this thing, but at the same time, it's like okay, but this isn't mine. This is Jesus's deal, and what he wants is what goes. So yeah. if that means we're the ones that run it, then we're the ones that run it. If it means it needs to be someone else, then it needs to be someone else. And I think, I think for probably a lot of people, that ego thing is is the hardest thing to keep in check. I mean, that's just yeah. And and plus, Jesus is telling us we can only sell it for two hundred million dollars. <laughs> That's what, what he's telling being me told. anyway. That's a. Hey, it's what we're being told. Cash or check <laughs> will do fine. We're only kidding. But here's here's the deal. No, actually, so, if someone wanted to offer that, I think we would take it to Jesus. You know what? That just jumped out of my mouth. It was like it was meant to be. It's out there. Hey, we're just throwing prophecy. it out there, that people. Was That's all. Oh wait, no, Joey, <laughs> Joey. If you have any rich friends that want to buy the magazine. So so anyways, arrogant leaders have driven more people away from church in recent years than, than people realize. And it's actually a form of self-sabotage. Nothing will destroy your ministry faster, believe it or not. Um, I, I remember that song, Lit, and it, everybody connected with it. Remember that song, It's No Surprise to Me, I Am My Own Worst Enemy? Mm. I was like my theme song, man. When I heard that, I'm like, that's me. Right, I don't. I don't know if you remember that song, but uh, you listen to like rap and hip hop, right? Dude, I listen to everything now. After going to college, oh. it weaned off of rap and hip hop into like alternative metal. <laughs> I even Jamie doesn't understand this, but I love classical music as well. I'm like, yeah, every and she listens to country. So the only thing I really can't stand is praise music. Yeah, well, I, I listen to a lot of punk. A lot I'm not of sure rock. if I can be a Christian and say that, but you know. <laughs> I listen to a lot of punk and a lot of rock and and that song man that that song right there is just exactly what I feel in ministry at all times. I remember reading Moby Dick. Moby Dick was like my favorite uh book that I ever read and I know that makes me a weirdo and freak but um there's that scene where like Captain Ahab and first mate Starbuck are facing off and Ahab seizes a musket and points at Starbucks, and he says, there's only one captain on this ship. And Starbucks kind of composes himself and pauses before he exits the room. And he says this, and I'm going to read this quote. He says, thou hast outraged, not insulted me, sir, but for that, I ask thee not to be aware of Starbuck. Thou wouldst but laugh if I said that, but let Ahab beware of Ahab. And then he says, beware of thyself, old man. And And I always, that stuck with me. I was a, I was just going to ministry. That whole Ahab, let Ahab beware of Ahab. That's like prophetic, man, because, you know, we are our own worst enemy. Our own arrogance works against us. It, you can self-sabotage uh, yourself by thinking too much, believing your press. And Peter said that humility uh, should be possessed above all. That's like, he, he talks about putting all these things, and he says, above all, put on the cloak of humility. And what I love about that picture is your gifts and abilities are often what people see. And Paul, uh, Peter says, put the cloak of humility over your gifts and abilities. Let that be what people see more than anything. Don't let them see your gifts and how awesome you are and this and that. Be humble. 
be be the guy who still sits on the toilet and takes a crap. <laughs> you know, if I saw a picture of you doing that, you know, I'd be like, oh, he's a normal dude. You know what I'm saying? And speaking of toilets, you you still in your heart. <laughs> I knew you'd love that. Where are and, we going with this? <laughs> in in your in your heart, you should still be the guy who does uh, clean toilets, load trailers, sweep floors, and sub in the Sunday school. Because you know, in a church plant, you're gonna have to do that stuff, and you, you can't go into it as like the big wambooey. You know, I, I actually remember at at uh, Biola when I attended there. One of the requirements when you attend Biola is you have to go to chapel three times a week. And um, you're only allowed so many misses. And if you miss so many, then you have to, at the time anyway, you had to buy uh, chapel tapes and listen to those and write reports on them in tournament, of which I did my fair share of chapel tapes because I missed a ton of chapel. But I do remember going to this one and whoever was preaching, he talked about actually going to the bathroom. He said, you notice how on TV and the movies, no one ever goes to the bathroom. He goes, that's how you know it's not real. Be real about life. Take a dump. <laughs> and so that's what I remember, yeah, guys. Guys absolutely. writing on their uh, the whiteboards on the outside of their door. Be real about life. Take a dump. Yeah, you know what? And, and the other weird thing is uh, there's no kids in Star Wars. I just thought I'd throw that in there. That's weird. In the original trilogy, there are no children. Wow. But anyways, that kind of ruined it, man. You just made me think about that. I, I think you're I'm right. sorry. I threw us off. This is how my brain works. And no one takes a dump in Star Wars. You ever see Darth Vader going in there with that big, long cape? Come on. Yes. No, that's what he's actually doing in that one scene where he's in that little chamber and his helmet's <laughs> off. He, had to, he has to take his helmet off when he does it. You know? That's you didn't know that, boy. That's the two listeners that's the that we toilet. had. We just lost them on this episode. They're gone. It's actually Darth Vader going to the bathroom. In fact, there's all of actually, the offers to buy the magazine have now been rescinded. There's actually an awesome. I don't remember what. What do they call those things where you put it to music? Um, where you put like a video on YouTube and someone makes a little like video and it's all like you know back and forth. Zip, zip, zip. Anyways, there's the funniest video of that. Um, where his helmet's coming off and he's, and it shows the guy's expression, dude. And they keep like replaying it and remixing it. So funny. I'll anyways, take your word for it. I yeah, have no idea sorry. what you're talking about. I, but yeah. Anyway. Anyways, it was worth a shot. So, okay. Not quick tempered and not violent. Okay. It's confession time for me. This was my deal. Okay. I, I mentioned I have short term syndrome, but I was convinced that my temper is going to land me in jail. And, you know, it might have been when I was a kid, I was beaten quite a bit. And so, you know, these were issues that I wrestled with daily. And I was convinced eventually, um, because when, excuse me, when puberty hit, you know, I was out to punish somebody. But after I became a Christian, I was able to hide these issues a little bit better. Uh, but there was still this uncontrolled rage that was seething under the surface. Um, and, and if you remember the, the, the quote from the Avengers or the Hulk, he goes, you want to know the secret? I'm always angry, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that's that was me, man, walking around, and I knew all the scriptures, but the problem was I didn't know how to let God change uh, those areas and let Him come into all that anger that was seething under the surface. No one had ever told me that He actually did that stuff, and in, until He did, I was actually a very dangerous person. If you push the right buttons, how did you let God come in and take care of that? I went for a day away with a Bible, a notebook, a bottle of water, and I went out in the wilderness somewhere, and I just sat and cried out to God and listened. 
And it was prophetic, man. I kid you not. I had a day out, just me and Jesus. And I felt him. Um, when I was praying, I was having a kid and I'm like, God, I don't want to be the, uh, the guy who loses control on his kids and abuses because I was an abused kid. So, uh, I don't want to do that. And it turns out that God wanted to talk to me about that very much. Whatever issue you have, always know, guys, we live in a broken world. There is a root cause to whatever sin has worked its way in your life. And Jesus will go into the root cause. The sin you're committing is the symptom. The root cause is something else. It's some way that you're trying to fill your life with something less than God. And so he will come into that. You know, I, I felt like Jesus came into those areas. I literally felt like Jesus took me by the hand and walked me back through time. And, you know, it's like when they talk about this regressive hypnotherapy. I don't know anything about that. I've never studied that. I've never gone through that. I got a minor in psychology, but, you know, it's not. It's not something that is familiar to me, but all I know is something happened that day where I felt like the Lord walked me back through my past and said I was there. And uh, if I had physically been there, I would have stopped it, you know, because when you're abused, that's kind of the deal. And so because nobody was there to stop it, um, you tell yourself in your heart, you know, I, I, I've got to fight for myself and I've got to, and this anger wells up. If you ever feel threatened, fight or flight kicks in. And you can become a maniac if you think that you're being put in that same situation. And that's where I was at. You know, I could kill people if, if, if I got in a physical, and that, that always freaked me out, you know, not that I was strong enough to do that or were able to kill people. But, but what I mean is that it was in my heart and the anger would get so bad. I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't stop. And so, you know, and, and there would fear, fear would go completely out the window. I'd have no fear. Something else would take over. And, uh, and, and so what I'm saying is, you know, in those moments, uh, where that was like a reflex, Jesus had to kind of come in there and say, look, I'm not in there. Um, you need to have the truth replaced with that lie that nobody was there and you have to look after yourself and you have to protect yourself. And the Lord is like, look, you got to let me be there. You got to let me come into that area and you got to let me be your protector. You got to let me, uh, you know, and so that, that was kind of, it was very personal. That um, is very, very fascinating to me. Just yeah. utterly fascinating. I mean, just, uh, that the whole concept of going off by yourself for a day, just all right, God, you and I are gonna basically have this out. Yeah, I, I'm I'm totally captivated by that concept because you know I've said before in the show. I mean, last last podcast we talked about how evil Pete is, right? I'm like, <laughs> hey, we haven't hit you today. <laughs> well, hey, let me just remind everybody, Pete, not such a good guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, most people would say, in fact, I, I would tell you most of my non-Christian friends are like, oh, Pete, you're so principle centered. And I'm like, if you guys only knew, you know, just, just no, how but you are, dark. Man. It, no, my, but in fairness to our listeners, I, I do know you quite well. And even though we, we rip on each other that, that you are, I mean, you know, you definitely have integrity, but uh, you know, we no, all, let's not push it. All right, let's no. I want to be straight here. Let's let's not go too far with the Pete's really not that bad. Pete really is that bad. Pete genuinely is that bad. There's there are reasons I've never been drawn to ministry. It's because I know how bad I am inside. We talked about that last week. <laughs> I know what no one else sees, 
and I know how bad I am. And yeah. it's like, pfft, all right, you know, kind of like how we talked about the self-editing, you know, if you know you shouldn't be in ministry, don't go into ministry. I mean, yeah. uh, and and me, I've always known, you know what, there's too much crap in my life. But And that's why I think partially, you know, what you said really makes sense to me because I'm sitting here going, you know, maybe I need to, you know, go away for a day with God and just have it out. Hey, God, these are the issues that that are in my life that are, you know, festering. Let's 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 have it out, you know, and, yeah. and let's let's get to the root of this. Let's let's and, rid it. Yeah, I mean it and it was a supernatural experience. I can't lie. I can't say, oh, you know, it was uh it was just a day where I just journaled a bunch. No, man, I I heard God invite me. Like I felt personally invited. Kind of like if you ever heard of the book The Shack where the dude gets, Hey, I want to meet you out in the shed. Hadn't read The Shack at the time, wasn't, you know, influenced by that, but literally just felt God speak to my heart. We need to talk. As I was saying, Lord, I don't ever want to hurt these baby, you know, this baby. I remember holding lib. And I put it off because I didn't really I didn't really think God actually would be faithful to turn up if I set a day aside. Um, it was a day of, of fasting as well. And so uh, I remember walking out my door. I lived on the edge of a Victorian estate in Wales. And uh, if you don't know what a Victorian estate is, it's like an old, like uh, during the Romantic period, during the 1800s, uh, the Victorians were very fascinated by rugged nature. And um, so th- what they would do is they would buy huge tracts of land that had rugged features like rocks, and they would divert streams and make waterfalls and very grand uh, pictures, uh, and they would manipulate the landscape a bit. And I lived on the edge of one of these, like literally could walk out my door and, and be in it in probably two minutes flat, right? There's a walking path like 30, 40 feet from my, my front door. It's pretty awesome. And so... I remember walking out there and I, I heard the Lord. You got to remember, I, you know, I'm kind of this weird mix of evangelical and I have some charismatic flair. And so the, the, the Lord spoke to me and said, go left here. And I'm not used to that. And I don't like to play games. And so, um, weird head games and pretend they're God. So I was like, huh, that's, that's kind of weird. And I felt the Lord speak to me again and say, do you want to lead today or you want me to lead today? And, and I remember just like, I was like, well, that ain't, that's not me. And so I turned left. There was, and I went off the path through the, the wilderness. And I kid you not, about 10, 15, 20 feet in, I can't remember, um, there's a path. And it was a small path. It looked like an animal path. And I was like, huh, who do you know? I've walked this walk a million times. I've never seen this. And I kept walking it kept going on. I, I, I walk it. I come up against a stone wall with all these old vines on it. I soon come up to a ruined Victorian house out in the middle of nowhere. There's like acres and acres, hundreds of acres on this Victorian estate. And I found this old lost house. I had heard rumors of it and I found it. And the Lord's like, right, we're going to camp out here now. And it was, I can't even decide. There was like a walled garden that had been abandoned years ago. I just, it was the most beautiful thing. And I sat there and the Lord met me there. And I remember saying to the Lord, I didn't know you do this. How come nobody tells me you do this? Nobody's ever shown me that you would actually come into these areas of my heart that I've been struggling with for years. And of course, that goes back to what it means to be filled with the Spirit. All these areas where you've yielded them over um, to Him. And um, 
you know, I, your issues may pop up. This was mine. You know, your issues may pop up in any one of these character zones that Paul's lifting, uh, listing off. But the real question is, is that area in your life a Jesus-free zone? In other words, have you asked him to inhabit that private world of pain, fill it, break it, heal it? Because until you have, it's probably going to be a liability somewhere down the line and threaten the distraction of, of being used by God. And hmm. <laughs> so on that happy note, um, <laughs> no, get alone with Jesus, you know, the, like seriously, get alone with him. And, um, and I called, I call days like, I still take days like that. I call them going on a date with God. And the cool thing about going on a date with God is you usually get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Special things start to happen. And you know why though? You know why that you have these breakthroughs? Because you're finally so desperate that you're acting as if God is real and you're giving him a chance. You are desperate for him finally. Hmm. That's probably a good place to end. We still didn't get through Paul's laundry list, but um, these are character issues. These are life-changing issues. I'm actually, I don't know about you, Pete, but I'm actually happy stopping and saying, hey, we'll come back to this list again. I mean, it was supposed to be a one episode, but uh, hopefully our church planners are listening out there and saying, hey, man, you know, this is actually deep stuff. I need this. This is what I've been craving. And um, and and the transformation will come. And they're probably like, wow, I never realized there were no kids in the original Star Wars. You know, if you only took that away from today, we would have failed you. But we'd still be happy that you took that away. <laughs> hey, this has been uh, Peyton Jones and, and Pete, Pete Mitchell. Mi- oh, Pete Mitchell. I said it. <laughs> Pete Mitchell. I wasn't sure if you were going to remember me in that. Hey, this is Peyton Jones on the Church Planner Podcast signing off. This has been my podcast. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> remember that arrogance, ambition part? Hey. So anyways, we're here reminding you that if you want to reach the ones, uh, no, wait, are we, are we reminding them that? Or are we reminding them there, there were no children in Star Wars? No, you're or, reminding them of that. Or are we reminding them that mi dragon is muy rapido? Muy rapido. <laughs> no, we're no. reminding you that if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you have to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. 